Father, we give you thanks for the morning and for the week that we've had. We look forward now as we come together as a family united by your son and his work on the cross. And we look forward to the things you're going to teach us today, uh, some important truths from your word, as always. And may our worship that we sing now also be of uh, praise to you and honor. We ask these things in Jesus' name. All right, turn in your Bible to Matthew 6. Matthew 6 and verse 16. Why don't we stand and read the word of God together? Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head with and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but your, by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Please, sit, please be seated. Well, good morning, and as you could tell by our reading, today we're going to be diving into a topic that we have not yet talked about at Genesis House in the eight years of ministry, and that is fasting in the life of a believer. Now, there's a twofold reason I want to speak to you about fasting today. The first is regard, in regarding to what's going on in our denomination as we speak. Hopefully, you received an email from me this week, and if you didn't, I can send it to you. But currently, we are going to be at the end of the month, on September 29th, 30th in there, having a pastor's conference um, and regarding some pretty heavy issues our denomination is facing. There's three in particular. Uh, basically, the church in response to COVID and what's happened in the last almost, I guess, year and a half. Uh, the whole issue of the LGBTQ community and um, what does that look like to be uh, embracing of them in, in, our, in our churches and whatnot. Uh, second, and thirdly, areas of repentance in our denomination that need to happen. Uh, you know, um, a lot of churches are doing well and functioning God's way, but many aren't. And so it's a call to repentance for the churches as well. So in lieu of that, they've asked the denomination to, to fast and pray for 21 days. Started on September 10th and it goes until September 30th. And I did send you the email out. And we've signed up as a church for September 27th. And so um, if you haven't seen that, uh, again, just, just contact me. But the second reason I want to bring up fasting is because of, of the things that the Lord is sort of revealing to me and has been showing me lately in terms of the direction of the church. And I believe he's strongly communicating to me a message that, needs, that we need to look at seriously in terms of going forward into the future. Now, I'm going to dedicate an entire service next week to what I, what, what I think the Lord's saying and how Genesis House needs to keep going and the things that we're doing well, but it needs to change. And if you're going to make it to any church service between now and Christmas, make it to next week's service because it's going to be the revelation of, of um, some pretty big things. So... With these two ideas in mind, then, 
I figured it'd be really important for us to understand what the Bible has to say about fasting and why we should seriously consider this as a follower of Jesus. Now, I want to first establish, though, what fasting is. Before we get into Matthew, what is it? Well, the Greek word literally means abstinence from food. Big surprise. Abstinence from food. There are two forms of abstinence in the Bible. One is a complete or total abstinence. This would be where you don't eat um, any food for a prescribed period of time. And someone like Jesus in the wilderness is who would come to mind in this kind of fast. He was 40 days in the wilderness without food. However, he did drink water and water's prescribed in fasting. So there's a complete fast. There's also a partial fast. This is when you only refrain from eating certain foods, but not all foods together. A really good example of this is in Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, he chooses a fast, but he chooses not to eat any rich foods or any meats, but he eats everything else. So in that case, Daniel is uh, basically choosing to be vegetarian, basically for a period of time. I think it was 21 days. Now, I want to, I think it's important to establish what fasting is because we have something in our culture called Lent. We have Lent. And at Lent, people uh, like to fast from certain things and, and deny themselves of certain pleasures. And so we think of uh, Lent and fasting in terms of giving up social media or giving up video games or shopping or how much TV we watch and so on. And it's not that any of these things are wrong in and of themselves per se, but that's not the true biblical definition of fasting. The true biblical definition of fasting only included food. Now, I want to give you a little bit of theology about food. See, God didn't, add, or, um, or fasting wasn't like, you know, mentioned in the Bible because food in itself is evil. Food's not evil. Food's a gift from God that he wants us to enjoy. Two proofs of this, um, obviously, the variety we have. You know, we're not like a goldfish. We don't eat the same thing every, every day and mentally are okay with that, right? God gave us a huge variety to enjoy, and it's like his good gifts to us. Um, the other thing is we've been given taste buds. Again, we're not like a goldfish in that way. We can, we can taste salty things, bitter things, sweet things, and we, gross things, <laughs> and we, but we know good things. We all have different taste buds, and that makes us unique in creation. So again, God didn't design us so everything was like a mushy paste that was bland. He gave us the ability to enjoy flavor. And food is also critical to the Christian community. It's a means of fellowship. Remember in Acts chapter 2, guys and girls who've been in the Bible study, they, they, they would do it as a uh, food was a means of taking their meals together. They would take their meals together because that's where they would encourage one another and they would pray for one another and so on. So it was a means of fellowship. But food was also a means of worship. Remember at communion, he took bread. Jesus took bread and said, do this in remembrance of me. Right? So again, food is a means of fellowship. It's a means of worship. It is not a means of evil. So then why would God like um, mention, or why would the word, yeah, why would God mention food as the thing for abstinence? Well, he doesn't ever tell us. But as I began thinking about it, 
I was reminded of Jesus' conversation and debate with Satan in the, in the wilderness. When the, Satan turned to the, uh, Jesus and said, turn this stone into bread, he said this, man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone. So I think that's the answer, church. Food is something that is required for life. It's required for life. It's critical to our survival. We're dependent upon it for our existence. So to give up food, which is something that's necessary for life, is to say to God, um, this comes at a tangible cost. This is self-sacrificial. This is sacrificial towards you. So again, food, I think, is important. But my next comments I owe to John MacArthur because um, he got me thinking in a different category of food that I never thought of before. And so credit is due where credit is due. But you know what? Here's what, here's his, here's what I learned from him. It's interesting that within the Bible, even though food is not evil in of itself, people would often fall into sin as a result of their desire for it. I'll say that again. Food was not evil in of, in of itself, but even though that's the case, people often fell into sin due to their desire for it. Esau, in Genesis chapter 25. He was out hunting. He became famished, the Bible says. Starving. He comes home. His younger brother Joseph is making food. It's a stew. It smells amazing. He was so caught up with his hunger that he sold his birthright for one meal. And as a, his birthright came with some incredible blessings in that culture. Double inheritance, for example, things like that. Israel in Numbers 11, they've been delivered from Egypt out of slavery. God is providing them, providing them with manna, this, this uh, bread-like uh, substance from heaven. They got so sick of it, and they hated it, that they sinned by grumbling against God to the point that they were even weeping, it says in Numbers 11, weeping over what God was providing for them. And this is what they said. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt, as well as the leeks and onions and garlic. They were so, set, they were so caught up with food and missing food that they rebelled against God and grumbled against them and wanted to go back to slavery for the sake of their stomach. How about Eli and his sons in 1 Samuel 2? God had laws in place for offerings. If you brought an offering, some of it was to be given to the, burnt on the altar, and some of it was to be given to the priests for their service. He had laws for the provisions of which offering parts of the uh, animals you could eat. Well, God appears to Eli and says, I'm after you, boy, and your sons. You guys have been making yourself fat by going off of the choicest cuts of the offerings, and I never allowed that to happen. And what happened to Eli and the sons? They were dismantled from the priestly line of ministry, and they lost their lives. But the big one, Eve in Genesis 3. <laughs> I don't have to say much more than that, do I? When Satan tempted Eve to sin against God, what did he use for temptation? 
Everyone says an apple. It wasn't an apple church. Well, it just says it was the fruit of the tree. It could have been an apple, but it could have been something else too. It could have been a banana, a bunch of grapes. But for whatever reason, we've put an apple in our heads. But anyway, it was fruit, food. Verse 6 of Genesis 3, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes, she took and ate. Again, you know, food, not evil in and of itself. But isn't it interesting? It's a temptation that always draws people into sin. And we have a saying in our culture that understands this, right? Understands the power of food. How often have you heard, uh, you know, someone like a, um, typically it's usually about a man and a woman's way to his heart, you know? A man, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, Right? Well, clearly from the Bible, that's also women's way as well. <laughs> but you get the point. We, that, that, that doesn't come out of nowhere, that saying. So again, fasting. The biblical understanding of fasting. Food is not evil, but it can be a temptation used for evil. And it is um, usually in the category of food only. Well, it is only in the category of food. There is no other examples of fasting other than food. So I know I took a tangent on that, but I thought very interesting, and you'd probably enjoy that little segment there. So now that we know what fasting is, the question is, are we expected to do it? Are we commanded as followers of Jesus to fast? Well, one might think so, based on all the numerous Old Testament and New Testament examples we have, and also in light of Jesus' words. Look in verse 16. He says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So one might think, yeah, we are expected to fast. It's commanded. But church, that is not the case. Did you know there's only one command in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, of requirements to fast? It's in the book of Leviticus. You can look this up later for yourself. Leviticus 23, 26 to 32. Leviticus 23, 26, 32. There was a requirement once a year to fast on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, that's when the high priest would make a sacrifice for the sins of the nation as a group, as a whole. That's the only command in all of Scripture. The only other mention of periodical fasts that were routinely followed occurred in Zechariah's book. This is when Israel was in captivity and, and uh, in Babylon, and they fasted four times per year to mourn the destruction of the temple and, this, and their city when Babylon took them into exile. But here's what's key. That was not commanded by God. Those four fasts were, became adopted by the Jewish culture. It was voluntary on their part to do so. But beyond this, fasting was never commanded in the Old and New Testament. No New Testament writer ever said we're, we're obligated to Jesus never mandated it either. In fact, while Jesus was alive with his disciples, he told them the opposite. He told them the opposite. Look at this. He said uh, in Matthew 9, John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. You see what Jesus is saying? As long as I'm around right now for these three years, fasting is not required. 
It's not required while I'm here with you. But he, did, he didn't say it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. He says, when I go, when I ascend, when I'm resurrected, then there'll be a time for fasting. So commanded, no. Expected by Jesus at some point in a believer's life, yeah. There's points where he thought that we would. He understood there might be times when we felt it voluntarily necessary to do so. The question then for us is then, when would we and why would we? Well, it's an important question, isn't it, church? Because fasting's all their age now. I talk to people all the time in Okotoks and sort of like the surrounding areas where they're all fasting nowadays. It's been a popular diet, especially in the gym industry. And here's the thing, everyone does it, 90, like 90% of the reasons for doing it, if not 100 most of the time, just for physical reasons. People do it so they can feel better about themselves. They do it so they can look better and feel better. But let me just say this clearly, unless I'm missing something in scripture and you can point it out, I see no biblical evidence for ever fasting for purely physical reasons anywhere in scripture. There's not a single fast in the Bible that's purely for physical reasons with nothing else attached to it. If I could be so crass to say that I don't think God even could care less. In every case that fasting occurred, besides the Day of Atonement, it wasn't a means to an end in itself. It was birthed out of a deep spiritual need or concern that a person was experiencing that they felt helpless in, powerless in, and wanted to bring it before God in total humility and dependence upon him. It was a birth out of a deep spiritual need or concern that had a person just crying out to God for his mercy and guidance. Now here's key, church. This is really key. Because of this, fasting is always linked in connection with prayer but prayer is not always linked in connection with fasting. You, I, unless I'm wrong, I can't see any example. You will never find a fast in the Bible that I can see that's not in connection with prayer. But every time you see, you can often see prayers that have nothing to do with fasting. That shows you what fasting is, is pointing towards. It's a time for you to like humble yourselves before God and seek his face and just cry out for his guidance for whatever issues you're facing, issues that are lining up with his kingdom purposes. You're lining up on his team for the things that concern him, that concern you. But secondly, fasting then is not an end, of, end to itself. It's a result of a deep spiritual concern that drives us to the throne room of God. Fasting is a, is a, is a result, it's an effect it's birthed out of this desire, and it drives you to your knees to beseech God for guidance and his, his mercy in whatever situation you're facing. Paul Washer, in his uh, commentary, said this, We fast when a need, sorrow, or godly desire becomes so strong that we literally forget our bread in order to seek God in prayer. We fast when a need, sorrow, or godly desire becomes so strong that we literally forget our bread in order to seek God in prayer. 
So what kind of things, church, would drive us to the throne room of God? What kind of things should drive us to the throne room of God? Well, this list is not exhaustive, but there's some. Here's a few. Number one, grief. Grief. The death of a loved one, for example. This was the case of David in 2 Samuel 3.35 when he experienced the loss of one of his commanders named Abner. He, he fasted over the death of his commander, Abner. There was also fasting over the state of a nation. The state of a nation in Nehemiah 1 and 2. Nehemiah fasted over Israel when he heard about the conditions they were living in in Jerusalem uh, when they were allowed to return to the land. And it broke his heart for the state of his nation, and he fasted for his nation. Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 8 fasted for infertility. She fasted for infertility. She was so, had so much sorrow over the fact she couldn't have a baby. I fasted one time in the area of grief for someone. This story is absolutely remarkable um, in terms of like what happened. But there was a woman in my church, in our church, years ago that knew a girl that was in deep trouble. She had been high on drugs and alcohol and had gone out with the wrong people. She was from Calgary. She was literally discarded in Kananaskis country on the side of the road. She spent two days or three days or something like that in the, in the Kananaskis country, sobering up, had no idea where she was, had no clothing, and she was absolute destitute, and her life was like, like literally in God's hands. She cried out for mercy to God and promised that she'd commit her life to him if he'd rescue her. In the midst of that prayer, she, oh, she, she, oh, what, what the catalyst for that was she looked in the creek and saw a bear, and she was trying desperately still not to be heard by this bear, and she cried out to God. Long and short of it is, they sent a, a, um, the helicopters came out and looked for emergency crews who can't ask us, and, and the, she stood up. She never had enough strength to stand, but she felt like empowered to stand, and she stood, and the helicopter spotted her and rescued her. When I went to visit her hospital, it smelled like rotten flesh in there. Her toes were all gone. We're, we're, all, like, we're all basically gangrene, and, and they were going to amputate her feet. They're going to amputate her feet. When I visited to her, visited her, it was hard because I didn't have a nose plug, but I wanted one. I spent 24 hours in fasting and prayer that God would rescue her, that she wouldn't have her feet amputated. Next day, I found out how the surgery went, and it wasn't perfect. She did have to have some amputations, but it was her toes. She, it was her toes, and at least she was able to maintain her feet. But again, grief. Grief for loved ones. How about guilt over sin? Guilt over sin, both personal and in intercession for others. In personal sin, the king of Nineveh fasted when Jonah showed up in town in Jonah chapter 3. He says, you guys better repent of your violence and your wicked ways or God's going to judge you. The king called a fast and said, God, have mercy on us. And God did. Paul in Acts chapter 9 spent three days with no food, even drink, 
after realizing that he'd been going after Jesus Christ's people and that he was killing people in the name of Jesus when Jesus was actually his Lord. <laughs> How about intercession for others? Daniel in chapter 9 of Daniel. Daniel in chapter, yeah, Daniel in Daniel 9. <laughs> confessed before the Lord the sins of his people. Confessed the, Lord, the sins of his people to the Lord and fasted in that. Probably one of the most famous is Moses in Exodus 34. After the golden calf incident, he fasted for his people that God would not take them all out. And it was during this time he received the second copy of the Ten Commandments. How about protection? Fear. King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 had enemy nations surrounding Judah, and he was the king of Jerusalem and Judah. He was so helpless and felt powerless in the midst of these enemy nations that he called a nationwide fast and, the, and God came to the rescue and protected them. Esther and Esther 4, they were, the Jews were threatened of extermination due to a man by the name of Haman. Esther fasted to receive permission to go before the king to make a petition to save her people, and God granted it. How about Ezra 8 and 21 to 23? Ezra and the exiles are now making safe journey from a particular place to Jerusalem, and he asked for protection for the kids and the women as they're traveling, and God provided it for them. How about the area of physical health? David interceded, interceded for someone's life. Interceded for someone's life. David fasted for God to show mercy for his son, who was conceived with Bathsheba when God was going to judge that son for their sin. And he fasted that God would show mercy and interceded for him. One cool one is actually in Psalm 35 and 13. David is talking about his enemies, not even God's people. He's talking about his enemies. And he begins fasting for those who are sick and needy, his enemies. How about important decisions we have to make or seeking guidance? In Genesis 24 and 20, 33, Abraham's servant fasted to find a bride for Isaac. In Judges 20, 26, Israel was seeking after God to know whether they should go to war or to retreat. They'd lost two battles severely. They didn't want to lose a third one and have more casualties. So they fasted to find out if they should go to battle or not. God said, you go, and they won. Church, we have critical decisions to make all the time. Where to go to school, who to marry, what job to take, everything. We can take it to the Lord in fasting and prayer. How about ministry to direction? Acts 13, 1 to 10. Paul and the other believers are gathered in Antioch. While praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Here's what I love about that one, church. From what I can tell in the text, they weren't actually going after God for any particular reason. Just part of their practice in life was fasting and praying, and out of that came a missionary movement. I don't even know if they're expecting it. So here they are fasting and praying as a practice, and God says, I need to tell you something, but I see your heart towards me. Let me give you a, 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 an evangelistic strategy. Set apart Barnabas and Paul to go do a missionary journey for me. I don't even know if they're expecting that, church. But later on in Acts 14 and 23, Paul and Barnabas again, again are once again praying and fasting, but this time it's different. They've appointed elders 
to lead the church. And now they're fasting and praying as part of the commissioning service. It's their way of basically beseeching God to say, you know, to empower these men to do the right job in the ministry when they're left, when, when Paul and Barnabas leave them. It's almost like, he's like they're, they're crying out to God to empower this ministry and to be with these men as they leave this church. How about spiritual warfare? Matthew 17, 21. A demon-possessed boy is brought to Jesus. And the reason they brought him to Jesus is the disciples had had a go at this guy and could not exercise the demon. Couldn't do it. They come to Je- so the man comes to Jesus in desperation and says, X, can you help me? And he goes, basically, why didn't you ask my disciples? And he says, well, we did, and they couldn't do it. And then Jesus exercises them and then says, this one can only come out by prayer and fasting. I talked to a man in Af- from Africa, I think he's from Nigeria, about five years ago, and um, he was part of our denomination. And, he, and I told, asked him what life was like and about spiritual warfare, and he said, yeah, this is true. He goes, many times in our churches, we'd pray for people. We did not have the authority to cast out demons. And we'd go away for one or two days. We'd fast as a church and pray. We'd go back and the demon would be gone like that in a second. Humbling ourselves, relying on God for the spiritual battles and warfare. The last two are very interesting to me. I could have guessed these other areas before studying. I could not have guessed these two areas prior to studying. So hopefully these are interesting to you as well. Concern for God's name. In Psalm 69 and verse 10, David fasts for those who insult God's name and criticize him for who he is and all he stood for. The nations around them, the people who were insulting God, making like kind of like Goliath, making fun of the God of Israel. He would fast for God's name. That's where the phrase, you know, zeal for my house will consume me. That's the, that's the psalm where uh, David said that when Jesus said that when he watched the, 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 all the religious leaders and all the people uh, selling um, doves and things like that in the temple. Zeal for my house will consume me. He, he cared about the name of God and his reputation. He fasted for that. There's an application for us today. There is one. <laughs> but one of the cool ones is understanding of Scripture. The understanding of Scripture. And it's so good, I had to take my own words out of it and do word for word from the Bible. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So he's reading Jeremiah. And he understands from Jeremiah, as he's reading it, that Jerusalem is down and out for 70 years. That's clear. That's clear. So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Fast forward to verse 21. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. (laughs) Church, 
Raise your hand if you think the Bible is easy to understand. <laughs> my, the hardest part of my job, like I sweat buckets coming before you some days. I lose sleep over it. I can't even eat over it because I'm like, I cannot misrepresent what you have to say to this church, Lord. I don't get certain things. I've never once fasted in my life, ever, for God to reveal scripture to me. Never. Confession. What an interesting thought. <laughs> Struggling church? I, it doesn't say it's limited to Daniel. Beseech the Lord to reveal his word to you so you gain an understanding. You talk about an incredible application. So for how long? How long do we fast? Well, because it's voluntary, and it's a means of humbling oneself before the God in the midst of spiritual struggles, the length of time varies. There's no such thing, thing as a one-size-fits-all approach. The shortest fast I can find in the Bible is a half day, from morning to evening, sunset, basically. Half day. We find this in places like 2 Samuel 1.12. David fasted with Israel for the death of Saul and his sons. The longest I could find is 40. That occurs at least two or three times in the Bible. I think Elijah did that, Moses did that, and Jesus did that. But then we find everything in between. Paul fasted for three days after uh, seeing the Lord in the, as a means of repentance. Uh, David fasted for seven over his son when God was going to take his life. Daniel in chapter 10 fasted for 21 days after receiving a disturbing vision. So here's what I can say for length of time. The time seems to be determined by the individual. But a, a lot of the times that I, like story after story, the, fa the fast ends when God brings resolution. The fast ends when God brings resolution. And then it stops. Jehoshaphat, they fasted and fasted. God brought an answer through one man. When God took David's son, he got up, literally got up within a second, put on his clothes and went back to work. So again, we can, it seems like God gives us the freedom to determine how long we want to honor him in that. But there are times when there's like some major, major things going on that we keep going until God brings resolution. I re I've recorded this book so many times, um, but it's basically The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon. He was in jail in China. I read a story, his story. He, the Lord asked him to fast for 70 days. 70 days. But through that, he did amazing miracles. And, it's, and everyone knew, the prison guards, everyone knew that's physiologically impossible. It's impossible to live two months without food. He did it because the God sustained him. But God told him he would sustain him and how long to go for. God told him when to break the fast. And he did. When his wife saw him after the fast, because she got to visit him, she said he didn't even recognize him. He was, he was a seven, 70 or 80 pounds, and his ears were shriveled up, like just completely gone shriveled up from just lack of like sustenance. But now when you see him, he's a fully restored grown man. But again, this is a, this is a spiritual battle that the Lord is fighting for him, but they're breaking through boundaries in China like crazy because of men like him. So as we come to a close, I want to conclude with the passage we read. 
as well as one more. Because Jesus does give a warning in fasting. He gives protocols on how to fast. And he basically says, there's one important truth, church, we need to remember. And that is this. Our fasting has to be free from hypocrisy. It has to be free from hypocrisy. And I'm going to suggest in two ways. The first one is found in Matthew. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearances so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head with uh, ahead and wash your face so that your fasting will be noticed, not be noticed by men, but by your father who's in secret. And your father who is, sees what isn't done in secret will reward you. First warning, do not fast so that everyone knows that notices and you draw attention to yourself. Don't try to draw attention to yourself by looking all sad and glum. And, and if you're really, really hungry and you're with your friends, then guess what I'm doing if they see you're just kind of down and out? We are to keep it to ourselves. We're to keep it secret. Now, yes, you could maybe tell your spouse so that if they're going to serve food, we can have food together, they understand what's going on. And if we're doing it as a church community, yes, as, as brothers and sisters, we share that common ground. But out there in the world, we're not looking to draw attention to ourselves to let everyone know what we're up to. He says, if you do that, you receive a reward in full. And that makes sense, right? Because if Dean walks up to me and goes, man, Andrew, you're looking kind of skinny these days and you kind of look like, like death warmed over. Like, what's going on? Oh, I'm just fasting for the Lord. Wow, that's amazing. You must be really spiritual. Like, you're a devout person. God says, you just got your reward. He praised you. But me, God, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. What I care about is if you come after me in these deep spiritual concerns secretly, privately, so nobody knows except me, then you'll get your reward. You'll get it in full. Second thing is that God wants us to live righteously before him as a way of life all the time. In other words, the fast is, the ritual of fasting is not what God's impressed with. What he cares about most is how you live in obedience to him. Then when you fast, he takes notice. Consider Zechariah 7, 1 through 10. On December 7th of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regimelech along with their attendants to seek the Lord's favor. They were to ask this question of the prophets and the priests of the temple of the Lord. Should we continue to mourn and fast each summer on the anniversary of the temple's destruction, as we have done for 70 years? Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Say to all your people and your priests during these 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer and in the early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? <laughs> like, good on you, 70 years, never once. You did it for me. Here's where it gets amazing, church. Listen to this. Even now in your holy festivals, aren't you eating and drinking just to please yourselves? 
Isn't this the same message the Lord proclaimed through the prophets in years past when Jerusalem and the towns of Judah were bustling with people and the Negev and the foothills of Judah were pleased or well populated? Then this message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Here's the fast I want from you. Judge fairly. Show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress the widow, orphan, foreigner, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. And it goes on for another like 10 verses. We've been fasting, Lord. We've been doing this ritual of fasting, like in sackcloth and ashes and crying out to you. God says, I don't care. You've never lived righteously. You've never cared about my commands, my laws. You don't, you don't seek to live holy lives. It means nothing to me. Lent, Okotoks, it means nothing to me. Because 99% of you are doing it for yourselves. They're not, whether you watch TV or not, is not God's number one spiritual concern. If you go from six hours to three, or if you drop Pinterest from your account, but you keep Facebook, like, who's that for? What spiritual significance does it have in my kingdom? The fast that the Lord really wants is the righteous, holy life, a life sold out for him. When you get your heart right in this way, and you have a pure heart before God, and you live in obedience, then your fasting is of honor to him and is accepted by him. The fasting is, in and of itself, has no value. But when it's accompanied with a heart of obedience and a dependence on the Lord, it means a ton to God. He moves boundaries and spiritual boundaries, like shakes the earth. So what can we learn from this? Bit number one. The biblical understanding of fasting always involves some form of abstinence from, fruit, from food. It's either complete, as in Jesus in 40 days in the wilderness, or it's partial, as in Daniel. Right? Again, I'm not saying that, they're like, like, that you can't fast in other ways, but let's just stick to what the Bible has to say. The Bible always relates it to food and food only. And so, I mean, I can't change that definition. Number two, fasting that pleases God is a response of the heart that is birthed out of a deep spiritual need or concern that drives us to seek him in total dependence. I couldn't think of a different word than birthed out, but birthed out gives you a good visual, isn't it? You've got this huge need, this big belly of spiritual concerns, and the pregnancies come to an end, and you just can't help but push that sucker out there, <laughs> and you want God to... To like just embrace what you birthed out of of your soul. This is you know you know me church. I'm not the. I've always been known for this type of language. Anyway, that's why I'm not in the radio and probably never will be. But that's the thing, church. It's it's it, this is the kind of fasting that pleases God. It's not a ritual, it's a means to an end of itself. It comes out of these deep spiritual concerns for the things of the Lord, and we line up with his ways and his kingdom. And we've got categories now in which you can see what he cares about. Because he answered, and all those things I mentioned, church, from what I can see, although I don't know what happened with like the, 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 
the reproach of his name with David, he answered every single one of those prayers. Everything I quoted was answered. So if they were not kingdom-focused things, he would have not uh, answered them. Number three, as a result, fasting is always done in conjunction with prayer, but prayer is not always done in conjunction with fasting. Really cool, hey? Again, just to show fasting is not a ritual. It doesn't give you a spiritual badge to say, look at me how holy I am. It's got a purpose. It's to seek to make yourself dependent on God, to give up, to, to deny oneself, to say, man does not live on bread alone. It lives off of the word of God and your guidance to us in our, in our lives. And finally, one is hypocritical in their fasting when they, one, desire to be noticed by others. It's a spiritual badge they wear of honor. Number two, they think that the practice is more important to God than living a life of obedience to him. <laughs> Zechariah 7. This is why fasting is, 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 is voluntary, church. Like, I honestly believe this. I could never fast in my life, and God would still consider me a, a, a holy person that loves him. I could never fast in my life and go to glory, and God could say, well done, my faithful servant. Because love is the how you love him and how you live in accordance with him is the measure of your spiritual temperature. However, when we line up with God and we share his heart in things, we want to know more of him and know more of his ways and have him work in our world in ways that are just supernatural. So why not partner with him and deny ourselves so that we can get more done for his kingdom purposes? Okay. Well, why don't we close in prayer? Because I'm hungry. <laughs> Just kidding. Lord, we give you thanks for the day. Your word is um, incredible. It speaks to all areas of life, and today is one of them. Thank you for helping us get the balance between religion and just what it is to be a follower of you. Difference, difference between rituals and having a heart that's sold out for Jesus. As we seek to honor you in the future, just continue to transform our hearts to think in these ways, to move, to push religion out and to push you and to bring you and pull you in. We look forward to the work you're going to do for us, with us, I should say, in the future and uh, how you're going to shape Genesis House to be poised to, to work with you in your kingdom purposes going forward. Thank you for the ministry you've given us, but, I'm, but we're looking forward to partnering with you in different ways. So, Lord, uh, again, thank you for your word and how it teaches us to live on a daily basis. In Christ's name, amen.